one shot, now the future for sure. Let's go. Yeah, I was building on the lecture. Versus coming daily under pressure. Working on the plot and the scheme. The true stock trademark is at the edge of your dreams. I'm talking one. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another Startup Fan Podcast. As normal, I'm in Dublin, but it's wet, rainy, cold Dublin. But you're still got a bit of heat over there in London, Graham, is that right? Yeah, well, it's not it's not as nice as it was the previous weeks, but it's still currently 23 degrees and 3,000% humidity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's speaking of humidity, I've got a couple of um, salt lamps around the place, mm. and I, I noticed over the past day or two that there was a puddle of water underneath them all you know so when whenever you've got like any of those those salt lamps that uh the water seeps out of them you know so uh i've also got like a little ornament that lydia brought back from from uh, i think it was poland from the salt mines and that as well has a, a massive puddle of water under it crazy and the humidity is is crazy because I was walking around going, "Is the carpet wet? Do yeah. we have a leak? Do we have a leak? Yeah. What's going on?" Yeah, but it, it just when when it when it rained here, uh, rained here pretty bad. It was flooding in the UK um, yesterday uh, in certain areas, but it just kind of hit home that the summer is fading. You know, it's uh, yeah. it'll be it'll be winter time before we know it, and I don't want to depress everyone with the um, second wave talk because we do talk a bit about that in today's podcast. Um, Second and third, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not ideal. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. But but uh, well, some people are saying there won't. Uh, our, today's guest said he thinks there'll be a second, thinks there'll be a third. But it, as you say, it's impossible to predict right now, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, it is. And I, I don't think I do think. Look, if we do have another lockdown, I don't think it will be as severe as the first one. Like it can't be because, like, the knock-on effect that this has already had on on the economy is is massive. And a second lockdown, if not even a third lockdown, I, I don't know. I think it's just going to push. Like I, I, I think it's going to push so many companies over the edge. And I still think that there's a massive amount of businesses that are at the moment are considering ways of closing down and telling everyone and, and announcing it that is yet to come. More than likely, you know, more than likely, it's and, and, and as I was saying before, we started recording about the end of September, uh, the payment stopping in the UK. Um, you know, the UK took a different angle than Ireland and said, look, we're going to give bounce back loans um, that that were fairly chunky for businesses. And it was eventually it was super easy to get. But that's mm. that's the angle they've taken, whereas Ireland have extended COVID payments up until next year, um, whereas the UK are giving businesses money to pay the staff. So it's going to be interesting to see when that when, when that ends, what it will be like. They're, they're basically giving businesses a thousand pounds for every employee that they keep on after the end of September. Um, yeah. which when you look at the amount of employees is generous, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's better than a kick in the face, but it's still a thousand pounds. You're not going to keep someone on for the sake of a thousand pounds. If it's going to cost three or 4,000 pounds to employ them per month. Um, so it will be, is that, the, is that a grant or is that a loan? It's a, it's a grant. Yeah. It's, it's a grant. grant. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. Um, but before you put a, a any more of a downer on this conversation, <laughs> um, I suppose we should probably get into today's guest. That's it. So on t- on today's show, we've got Asaf Navat from Homemade, and anyone who doesn't know Homemade, they are a prop tech company. They they don't view themselves as a rental company, so they're prop tech. They've grown massively 
over the past number of months where they've doubled in size, where they had 25 staff, they now have 50, and they're still hiring. And they've raised to date about 4 million. So let's get into the show. Asaf, thanks for joining us today. Um, well, look, we're going to get stuck into a number of things with, with, with you guys, money that you've raised and, and how you're doing at the moment. And just so as we know, like you consider yourselves as a prop tech company. You're not an agency. You think that the letting agent model is broken. And over the past couple of months, you've also grown. So you've actually seen some good things with, with COVID where you've grown from 25 to, to around 50 staff. And since you began, you you raised it in 2017. You've raised a total of four million, and we'll get we'll get into all of that. But I suppose to start off, how have things been for you guys um, in lockdown? As as I said, like you you've grown from what about 25 to to 50 staff. So things are obviously busy for you. Yes, we're incredibly busy, and we're actually in the process of growing from 50 to approximately 17 September. Um, wow. We entered COVID, it was my wife actually who pulled my head outside of the day-to-day, say it's coming, we have to prepare. And our strategy in Q1 was quite simple. We, first of all, took care of team safety. Secondly, defense as a company, and then identifying some opportunities for offense. So safety was all around. How can we make sure that our team members, especially the field sales, can mitigate and manage the risk of them being outside, so through a remote viewings through um, contactless processes, et cetera, et cetera. Then defense was a lot around how to make sure the financial stability is, is, is protected and, and to make sure if the lockdown is not two months, but let's say five months, how do we make sure that we have uh, the right to fight another day? And then lastly, um, like all different issues and problems, there's always some offense opportunities, right? So for us, it was a lot around how do we make sure that we can identify the large property funds that need our help these days? How do we make sure that we get the right team members to join us? How do we make sure that we serve needs that our, our competitors are not able to serve? So aside of the, the tragedy and the recession that goes with, with the pandemic, we got out of the lockdown in a very strong position where we had four different things that helped us. One is the fact that our customers, the large B2B, so we have a B2B and a B2C business, B2B being large property funds and B2C being private landlords. Our B2B market was desperate for something different. They need renters, they need tenants, and they had the right to go and review the way that they source these renters and tenants. And we were there to help them. Secondly, we were able to recruit team members in scale that we were unable to do before, right? So it was much harder when there was there was 3% unemployment and much easier when there's, you know, more people looking for a job. Um, so that was the second thing. And thirdly, we saw this increase in, in, increase in the market of, of uh, landlords, whether private or institutional, that were looking to save money. And aside of the fact we can do, we can source tenants very effectively, we can also do it at a much lower cost. So our proposition became much stronger and much more attractive in the market. So when we um, exited the the lockdown in early June, we started growing uh, very quickly. So while unfurling some of the team members to on furlough, we were already looking to hire a large number of team members. So... We expanded a lot of partnerships. We started. We currently have a few thousands of, of properties available right now. Um, 
yeah, and, and altogether we're now in a place where Q3, Q4 in 2020 are already, we already have a very strong pipeline. What trends are you seeing, Asaf? Are you seeing people kind of going zone two, zone three? Are people tend, you know, obviously offices are shutting up and a lot of people are out to work from home. Are you seeing any work from home trends with the way people are, are moving around? We, we see quite a lot of trends. I mean, one of them would be not necessarily the work from home as a long-term solution for people as much as it's how safe the space is, right? So we see less share, fewer sharers. We see more people caring about the, having a garden or having a nice lounge if, it's, if it is a share apartment. Uh, we see people that no longer find it as attractive to be next to a tube station as much as they care about the property itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see a lot of people that are moving from relatively old you know, housing or old accommodation to new builds. Right, they just right. care more about their space. Mm. At the same time, you also see people trying to save money, right? A lot of uncertainty, a lot of people that are looking to um, to save some money or, or spend less of their disposable income on housing. Um, and, and lastly, we see a lot of people that took pets, right? So obviously, when they were in lockdown, a lot of people felt quite lonely. So many renters uh, ended up uh, adopting pets and now looking for places that uh, that can uh, allow them to have one. Yeah. Do, do you do you because you obviously hear from both sides because you work with both sides you look for you work after or sorry you look after people that are looking to to rent accommodation and you actually look after landlords as well do you what kind of feedback are you getting from landlords because we've seen a couple of things online where you see a lot of people giving out about landlords because everyone else has taken um a, a pay cut they, their their income has been affected but landlords haven't is what they're saying because they're saying that a lot of landlords are refusing to to give discounts and refusing to well were refusing to look after people when when covid hit and and people were in total lockdown so what type of feedback have you been hearing from landlords in general because i know they're going to be taking a massive hit and there was something that was up on on yahoo finance there and i think it was it, it was you that actually had commented on it where you were saying that um UK landlords could lose 5.7 billion in rent by by 2024 and that rent is is coming down in in the UK by about 5% but London is going to be mostly affected by 9% which if you look at the amount of money that's going to be lost by 2024 I think it, it was you that said that that's four times what happened with the recession in 2008 so so what type of feedback are you getting from landlords I think it's important to remember that the whole COVID situation is a lose-lose situation, right? So renters will lose money, uh, landlords will lose money. And at, at the end of the day, people who will be reasonable and we try to find the win-win or we try to find something that minimizes the losses to both sides will be the ones that come out strong from it. So, for example, uh, landlords who are looking to be reasonable with rent or to allow some sort of a rent reduction will have tenants stay there for a longer period of time. At the same time, t- tenants who are not able to pay eventually will uh, will be penalized by by their landlords, even if legally they are unable to evict them. So we, we see this gap in the market where you have tenants that behave well or tenants who are reasonable with their landlords and, and just communicate, that are able to find solutions. And tenants who just uh, went and said, we'll just stop paying rent, will be eventually will be evicted by their landlords. So it, 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 it is a tragedy from an economic perspective too. 
um, and there will be a major loss in the market. So we see it with the institutional landlords that are um, across the board trying to find creative solutions or to drop their uh, asking rents. We see it with private landlords who are reacting quicker to the changes in the rent and the market value. And we see it with tenants who are more keen to negotiate the rents that they're, they're addressing. Right? So people with affordability are now more attractive. So people with stable jobs were not affected as much. So, for example, solicitors or accountants or government employees. Um, these people are able to find better accommodation. Right? Um, and, and people who were severely affected, so hospitality, travel, Etc. Etc. Are, um, are are being forced to find more creative solutions in how they can afford it. So guarantors paying upfront, etc. Etc. Yeah. When you when you raised money for this, Asaf, when you raised the first round of funding, did you go to institutional investors who who may you know see the the potential in it, or, or what angle did you take at the at the first raise for this? So the first raise came after nine months of uh, me running around town and uh, doing a pilot just taking viewings, doing tenancy progression and so on. Uh, and it was practically on, on a couple of thousands of pounds of revenue. So that was where to go through uh, two family offices, but mostly angel investors, mm-hmm. a couple of former colleagues of mine from a bank company, a couple of investment bankers, a couple of property professionals. Um, and, and that was at a time where it was all about the theory or the investment thesis that was leading this entire investment round. So people believe that 20 years from now, 30 years from now, there will not, it will not be as many traditional letting agents. We're just discussing the timeline because I believe it will be 10 years from now, right? The question is not whether it's happening. And the main point of proof in, in, in the investment round was around, can you do it in a profitable way? Which was the reason that I ran this pilot for nine, 10 months before that, right? Just to show that I can, I can make sure for every pound of revenue, we're going to have uh, some decent cost margins and not having to pay 10, 15 pounds as some of our competitors are you looking to to raise again because i think you've had what three rounds so far like two two that are probably one was was about 850k and then another one nine months later um for around two million and i think you mentioned that there was some in between are you are you looking to raise money again we are able to run as we are now until the end of 2022 so we but that said we will look to do one in early 2021 our current traction is quite strong, so we would like to expand it. We just exited London, so we just launched a few buildings outside of London, and we'll be looking to expand the pace that we do that. Um, so we'll be looking to run a, a relatively large round in Q1 2021. Hmm. And in, in what way you di- are you disrupting this, Asaf? What way does it work versus the, the traditional letting agent? So the main two aspects that we do is one, that we can operate a profitable unit economics despite the fact that we charge quarter or less of the traditional letting fees, right? So if you're, a tradi- if you're using Foxons, Foxon will charge you around 11% plus VAT on the first year of finding a tenant and another 5 to 10% on the second year. Savills will be charging more, Dexas will be charging more and so on and so on. We're able to charge less than 25% of that and still generate a very a significant gross margin and a net operating profit. That's the first one. The second one is that we can provide better quality of service compared to traditional agencies. And that's not aspirational quality, right? This is not something that we believe, we want, we think. It's something we already do and measure all the time. So, for example, when we won one of the largest buildings in the UK by one of the largest property funds in the world, 
it was not by bidding for a lower fee. We were bidding for the same fee as Savills, the Knight Frank, and we were, we were bidding them on, pri- on, on the quality, not on the pricing. And that same thing applies for every different project that we address, right? So every large institutional landlord or every private landlord, the savings that we can provide them are only secondary in terms of the quality we can provide them with. So, for example, we're compliance first. Nothing go past our compliance without being fully legal, even though we let go of 10, 15% of our potential properties that are looking to run things in a less compliant way. So doing those two things in parallel is what allows us to have the recurring revenue and the repeating business, but also to do it in a way that is sustainable, growing and profitable. Asaf, you're one of the few people and one of the few companies who have been doing well and expanding throughout throughout covid and this crisis and, and a lot of people have to have to let staff go and you're doing the opposite but obviously it's a really important time you know pandemic aside for you as a growing company to have a, you know first of all a sustainable growth but also hiring that many people and keeping the same mission and the same culture what approach do you take to hiring all these people? Because obviously it's super important that you know you keep the same mission and, and people are uh, people existing people in the company are happy and also new employees are happy too. So what approach do you take to hiring all these new staff? So a, a it's a massive challenge, right? So as, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, it is the good problems when you grow are not less demanding than the bad problems when you're in a startup. Mm. So more specifically, if I had to identify what's the biggest risk for our company, it would probably be around diluting the quality and the culture that is so strong and prevents competitors from beating us in terms of quality and unit economics and so on. Yeah. So specifically here, we applied a relatively um, aggressive uh, approach when it comes to the volume of, rent, of people we were interviewing. So we were interviewing dozens of people every week to go and make sure that we meet uh, the target of having 25 new team members in July. Secondly, there's a big part around um, how do you train them? How do you manage it? How do you make sure that you create a culture ambassadors within the company to tell people, the new joiners, how to act in this in this setting? Right? How do you make sure that you don't have the person who's been here for two days, learning from the person who's been here for a week, or learn from the person who's been here in two weeks, how we do things? Right? So a big part was around that. So, extensive messaging we have a company meeting every week we have the training sessions we have a, a each person's being allocated a body a, we have team meetings and so on just to make sure that people understand our mission and our way of doing things from the get-go and where there's you have to address it is it a case of the the new hires are they working remotely or are you back in the office or or, or do you still have an office or do, are you totally uh, working remotely <laughs> So things have changed so much. This is what I mean. Like some of the new hires, you, you might like they could be working for you now. You said you hired a lot back in uh, June or July. Like, ha- have you met them in, in person? So we, we when we were interviewing, we interviewed a few people without meeting them. And a few we insisted. So key hires, we have to meet in person and actually walk together. Right. We actually run for a workshop where we develop a plan together. Uh, we are currently working from the office. Majority of the company, about 80 percent is working on site. We have about nine people that are field sales that they travel around London, but and we do not meet them in person, but they are still out there. Um, and we put a lot of barriers in place to make sure that, again, we can mitigate the risk from a wide range of, of, of mitigation measures. Um, 
But right now we have to work in the office for three reasons. One is we have culture is such a big thing of how we do things. And unfortunately, you can't really communicate that through Zoom in full. Secondly, the creativity, which is a big part of how we do things, is also more limited uh, digitally. And, and lastly, we do have a lot of new team members that are relatively young. That's their first job. And we need to make sure that we can manage both quality, performance, productivity uh, in person. So, ha- yeah. No, I was, was going to say, have you, have you noticed um, a massive change in the quality of people applying for work? Because there's there's a lot of people unemployed at the moment. Absolutely. We see amazing caliber of candidates coming in. Um, it, whether it's uh, sector specific, so a lot of people from hospitality and travel and retail and consumer goods, uh, or it's people that are just looking for this opportunity to change things, right? So a lot of marketeers looking to switch from marketing to sales, a lot of operators looking to switch from operation to sales and so on. So we do see quite a lot. When we look at our uh, sales interns, about half of them were looking to work in investment banks or consultancies or accountancies before that, and now had the opportunity to go in and pursue the, in, in the first chapter of their career in a, in a startup. So it, it is always an opportunity for people looking to, to experiment and, and explore their the skill sets or to learn new things. Mm. What are you expecting to see, you know, trend-wise before the end of the year? Are you, going, are you expecting to see things stay quite consistent the way they are? Are you expecting to see changes with a second wave? Or what, what are you predicting as a company? <laughs> well, it's tough. Uh, I, I think there's going to be a second and potentially a third wave, which are potentially going to be even worse than the first one. I think that when schools go back and with the flu season, I think it will be very, very difficult for the UK to stop the spread of the virus in the same way. Mortality may be lower because we, this, the, the hospitals are now better prepared. But I think that uh, we won't see, or I think that the government will really struggle to have a widespread lockdown uh, for economic reasons, not for, for medical reasons. So I, I expect to see a much uh, wider spread of the virus in, in, in September, October, end of September or in October and potentially another one later on. Um, so th- that's something that I think will, will impact the economy quite significantly. Um, secondly, I think that the, the economy, when, when the end of furlough will, will reach, um, and, and the, the government eventually will have to phase it out for, for financial reasons, I think we'll start seeing a lot of SMEs, a lot of small businesses um, shutting down or downsizing, whether it's restaurants or event companies or uh, you name it. Um, I, I think that they'll realize that they just can't keep their team members on furlough forever. Hmm. You you obviously had a, a massive advantage over over agents because, as you said, like the letting agent model is broken, and with everything going going tech, you know, obviously there's an advantage there. Do you see yourself and and homemade um, having a massive advantage over competitors now because, as I said, you were a tech company anyway, which a lot of the time means you're you're online and um, people can work remotely compared to some of the letting agents that that aren't and and as you said i know you're working from the office but it's probably not as important to you as it would be to other uh, letting agents of course and we can definitely switch we, we we were doing startup on steroids just before the lockdown trialing seven eight different operating models uh, just to see what we can do while during the lockdown and ended up working quite well during the lockdown, even though it were doing remotely and using online videos 
uh, online viewings and so on. We, we're in a place that, A, we're more adaptive compared to traditional agents. That's the first one. Secondly, we're in a place where our, our infrastructure, both technological and, and physical infrastructure, is better suited for a remote model or, or a decentralized model. So even in a, in a scenario of another, another wave or different limitations, travel limitations, we'll be in a place that we can continue to serve our customers um, even with a limitation on, on, on travel. Um, secondly, we, we constantly question ourselves, are, are we a prop tech, right? Tesco doesn't, you know, Tesco is not a, pro, a tech company, but it uses technology. So are we an agency using technology or are we an actual prop tech? And the reality is that our model is incredibly simple when it comes to low volume of deals. And it's incredibly complicated, nearly impossible, when you hit a certain scale, which we're already in. Right? So every single deal we have is an exception. Every landlord is different. Every tenant is different. Every local authority has a different regulation. Every season behaves differently. Every house is different. So what is this place that our tech allows us to operate and do it both in a place that allows us to accept business and also to serve it effectively? And this is where we fit in. right? So we have we operate about 11 different platforms to allow the conversions and performance that we currently drive and are all uh, developed proprietary in-house. Right. Is, this, is this your first startup, or, or have you done this before? <laughs> it's my first startup. It's your first startup. Well, obviously, there, there's, there's a wide range of people who listen to this show, but there is a lot of people who listen to it that do want to launch a business. That's quite popular, right? And, and they're trying to get advice. You've obviously launched this business, and <laughs> you've done it at, a, at, a, at an interesting time, right? It's uh, during this pandemic. What advice would you give to first-time founders let's be more specific about it. First-time founders who want to launch a business now, maybe they've lost their job, maybe they figure now's the right time to do it and, and take a shot. What would your advice be to them? So the first advice would be start with an investment thesis, as in look at it in the eyes of an investor, not in the eyes of someone who creates something. Mm-hmm. Right? People who create things tend to fall in love in their own creation. The painting looks great. The CV that you've been looking at, staring at, it looks perfect. But an investor looks at it from an external perspective, right? Like, is the market good? Are you able to capture share? Are you able to operate profitably? Those validations or, or validation points are things that you want to make sure that an investor would believe in your, you're investing it in yourself, right? You're investing your time, you're investing your energy, you're investing your career. So make sure that the investor would take would go into that property, right? In the, into that investment thesis, into that asset that you're creating. And secondly is never compromise on the quality of your team members. Mm. Right? Your team members are literally going to be wherever that bus is going. And, and make sure that even if you're a first-time investor, make sure that they buy into you, they buy into the idea. So a founder's job is eventually to be a salesperson. You sell to customers, you sell to team members, you sell to investors. Mm. Make sure they believe in you. And if there is a breach in that trust, they will leave. So make sure that you also believe in yourself too. You had mentioned there that yourself and your wife had, had seen what was going to come in lockdown and you were ready to to get the company um, in a position that it was better positioned to take on the, a lockdown. And you'd also mentioned there that you think that a, a second or a third wave will come and whatever will happen in the future with lockdown, whether it would be as strict as it was in the past, no, one, no one's sure. But what 
do you think others could do? Because as Graham said, there's a lot of people watching this that either have startups um, or have been going a couple of years. But how would you best advise them to prepare for, say, a second wave? So the first one is to act. Don't hope that there will be a vaccine. Don't hope that the government will control it, but act. As in, do things proactively to make sure that you can mitigate the risk for your business or the physical risk to your team members. Secondly, I would say, is make sure that you as a founder or or, or CEO or or a member of the management, that you make sure that you're um, in in a defensible mode, right? So make sure that you have enough money in the bank. Make sure you have uh, your customers are up to date. Make sure that your systems are supported. And, and, and lastly, there's a question around how you communicate with your shareholders. How do you manage expectations to make sure that you don't have short-term interest in mind rather than the long-term interest of the company? Whether it's around a managing expectations around valuation, managing expectations about growth, or sometimes some industries just better off to be to hibernate for a few months. Now, it's, it's a very tough message to have if you don't have your shareholders with you or your team members with you. Um, and at the same time, when they'll be with you when, when the growth time or the growth period arrives. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely an interesting time for these founders and, and, our, and our heart certainly, certainly goes out to them, right? And obviously, some people we've had in this podcast over the last couple of months have, have raised money at an absolutely perfect time, right? They've raised money just before this. And that money can that money can extend them longer. Um, the services for better value, lower rents. You know they they really capitalize on it. But some who who just missed out on that on that funding round. How long did you did you run the business for before getting funding? How long do you do it with your own capital? So I, I ran it for ten months. Um, while I while I financed the company. So uh, the employees that I paid the salary. We had um, subscriptions that I I paid from my own pocket. Um, it, it, it was stressful, of course. Um, so I want to make sure that when that one thing on my side, I want to make sure that happens is I don't go without a sufficient capital, without sufficient capital to 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 reach meaningful milestones. Mm. So we didn't compromise on on that. Um, even though that many people advised that we should go and and raise a little amount of money, but I just knew that it at some point you need to deliver on the promise, not just have the vision right you need to to show actual traction you need to show happy customers uh, capable team members and so on and i I want to make sure to have sufficient capital to do that you you would also mention as well there that you're going to be looking for more staff again soon i think you're going to bring it from you were around 25 staff you brought it up to 50 and now there's going to be 70 in the company soon enough is that to deal with the amount of work that's coming in or is that to pretty much take advantage of of what you can now if you get me like there's a good opportunity you're going after it or is it or is it to deal with the backlog it, it's both right so it's both things and we have a great opportunity here in the sense that this is now a renter's market so a lot of landlords that may have gone diy right gumtree or open rent are now looking to have support while trying to find renters large property funds are looking to have more support Capable team members are available in the market. And my competitors, the traditional agents, are, you know, at best working with a limited capacity, right? So many of them are open between 10 a.m. in the morning to 1 p.m. or something like that, right? So that, that's the, around the opportunity. But at the same time, we already have enough supply, enough stock, enough demand 
to grow X7, X8 year on year just by delivering on things we already have. So it's just to make sure that we go and deliver on these deals and deliver on this potential as soon as possible rather than wait for for next year. Hmm. And what are your thoughts, considering considering the business you're in, what are your thoughts on uh, companies getting out of office leases and downsizing and wanting more flexible options? Obviously, uh, WeWork took a, a fairly big hit when it comes to to co-working uh, and, and actually, to be to be fair, so did all the other co-working spaces. What are your thoughts on on the commercial side of things and, and how companies are reacting right now? I, I think that companies need to do whatever it takes to survive. So the CEO's job is to make sure that the company survives. And if it means that you can renegotiate your contract, that's, a, that's absolutely a feasible or a viable way of, of progressing. That said, I don't think that all companies will be able to work remotely long term. I, I can already see it with some team members that uh, work remotely that want to come over to the office. I see it with other companies where mental health is becoming a big issue and creativity as well. Uh, at the end of the day, we are all social animals and, and we need to belong and we need to be a part of something. And, and if someone is planning to stay at home for nine months or whenever there's going to be a vaccine, um, then potentially they might not be as productive. Despite all, all the thoughts that you take away commute and you allow greater focus and so on, I can see that a lot of people get stressed by actually leaving from the workplace. So they, they don't manage to have a break. Mm. And, and I think that long term, it, it fits a very specific character to, to do work from home effectively long term. Yeah. A certain level of maturity as well is required. Of course, of course. And it's interesting because just from what I've seen with, with companies announcing we'll be working from home until summer 2021. Uh, some even have said September, October 2021, we're working from home. These are people, you know, that are in more senior positions. They're founders of a of a really large company. They may have a house outside London in some of the cases uh, cases I've seen with a big garden, and and it doesn't take into consideration the, the you know the twenty three twenty four year old in a tiny flat in in London um, that lives alone, you know, and and it's um it's definitely a, a tough time for them. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But working from home is definitely um if you enjoy working from home, it's it, it can be a lot down to the, the privilege of having a larger place and, and, and space to work. But we're, we're just about to run out of time, Asaf. But look, thank you so much. We can't wait to catch up with you again to see what the future holds. It, but it's an exciting time. So we appreciate your time today. Likewise. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Thanks Asaf. Thanks everyone so much for tuning in. If you are listening to this on iTunes, please do leave a review because it really helps our rankings. And also if you're listening to this on Spotify, please do share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe and thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check out the next episode. Yeah, it's one, oh.